John, how are you, man? Hey, hello. Doing fantastic, buddy. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Nice to see you. Thank you. I'm in Alaska. I'm back in Juneau. It looks like it. I can see how you're perfectly embedded in nature. Just <laughs> the, the sun on your face, the breeze whipping, you know, whipping through your hair. Thank God for global warming, man. Otherwise, this place would be under ice right now. <laughs> I now, can actually practically is- smell the moose. Mooses uh, <laughs> dancing by. What would you call them? What would you call a group of mooses? What are they? Pack of They're mooses? like deer. They're non-count like deer. You don't, they don't have a name? Oh, like a herd of moose? Would be they, a herd? they travel solo. They're, no, they, they travel solo. They're not They're not herd animals. Take her. a, they're a, like deer. A, like a wandering... So, wondering moose so the 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 moose would be more than one unless it was the moose entering your house you'd just say the moose which is one Um, the moose is all plural it's like deer yeah so they're they're not herd animals so they don't come in uh there it's a non-count noun Um, sorry yeah technical right away but so what's the what's the plural is there a plural of deer there's not right no there's not that's funny there you go. We just turned that into a grammar lesson real fast. Yeah, it's weird. It's like we we just thought of them for some reason throughout history. We thought of them as just meat. And just like meat, you know, it's a non-count or rice or water. It's something we consume a large amount of. There's no point in counting as long as everybody's belly's full. What about a, what about a um, kangaroos? I think they're called a... You could, I guess you could have like a a group or a pack of yeah you can have a pack or a group of deer a mob. or moose that's right they call it a mob a mob of kangaroos that's funny yeah an angry picketeering mob of moose they, they got signs bro they say stop building roads and stop shooting us we <laughs> want to thrive <laughs> next thing you know yeah be, buddy next so, thing you know they'll be wanting are. their own bathrooms yeah, you know, this is the problem with rights. You give somebody an inch and they want uh, a mile. And it's just like, uh, what is it in Spanish? Uh, uh, regla tu mano, tocan tu coda. Something, Something like, like that. that? I, I actually haven't heard that in Spanish before. <clears throat> what? But you've told me about it. Actually, you told me about it. I learned that one in Via Vicencio when I was telling a lady... Uh, I was trying to hustle her for the price of, uh, I think it was just like an arepa uh, reina. And she said like 2,000 baht. And I was like, or not baht, you know, two, I forget. 2,000 yeah, 2000 pesos, yeah. And I was like, what? What came? Blah, 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 blah. And, and she just shook her head and looked at me. And she's like, yeah, you give them an inch and they take a mile. She said, regla el mano. And to tujos or you guys take my elbow right <laughs> it was just gonna... what it was awesome and i was just like damn it all right can i give you 2500 pesos now since you burned me <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely lovely lady yeah they're the sort of culture experience kept me accountable she, she held me she held me to the stake and kept me accountable and i appreciate that yeah they're the kind of culture experiences you don't forget when stuff like that happens to you mm. Yeah, I just had I a, have one I have yeah, one go. more of those. I got one more of those and it happened here in Thailand at BKK which is like a really cheap mall. 
And I went in and they have all this like name, you know, there aren't the patent rights here in Thailand uh, as you find elsewhere in the West. Um, and they had like some uh, Hugo Boss, some DKNY, uh, Calvin Klein. And it was like still cheap, right? And and it was fake. I knew it wasn't real, but I really liked the sweater or, or the shorts. I forget what I was buying. I don't even remember what I was buying or what I bought because the lady made me laugh so hard. And I tried to hustle her, not hustle, you know, just negotiate. It's part of the culture here, as long as you're not taking advantage of people. Um, and I tried to, you know, negotiate, drop the price. And she's like, no, sir. I got rice, but I have no water. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. It doesn't sound funny coming from me, but basically that means she doesn't have everything she needs and she's got something, but she doesn't have the most essential something, which is water. And it it just made me laugh. And I just paid her full price. It, like I didn't even, I didn't even try to negotiate anymore. It's like, Oh, you, you earn this. Uh, so, you know, there it is me trying to like save you know, a penny or two and people standing up for themselves and teaching me a lesson in the process, which is a beautiful living abroad experience. Yeah. And that's the stuff, like I said, you never forget because it's kind of, it makes you realize uh, and appreciate their culture. And, and also, you know, there is that gift of the moment of having that experience in another culture too, which is pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So as oh. always, you're wearing a lovely sweater for me. I appreciate that. I wish the audience can see it. Mm -hmm. uh, he's wearing a, what looks like a, a race, a checkered, white and black checkered race flag collar and some side banners. And then he's got the Colombian colors. It looks like red, blue, and yellow. On some These, sort of this is actually a, a Ruano. A Ruano or a Poncho? I always get them mixed up. But it's a, let me show myself because I can't see what I look like um but it's yeah, different like, than the last one you wore right yeah i've got a couple of these now see you look awesome in colombia if you were in like california they might think you were homeless but not because <laughs> it's dirty not because it's dirty just because they wouldn't know where the hell you got that thing yes that's true um uh, this one's a light one so like you know these are these ones you can kind of wear when it's like a little bit nippy but not too cold um if it gets really like frigid you want something thicker and i've got like the uh like a full poncho like ruana from boyaca uh which is literally like a sheep it's like a whole sheep and those things keep you warm and i've got a poncho from um from peru and that's like the longer one but it's quite thin too it's thin but it's long so that keeps you warm which is pretty oh, cool. absolutely yeah which is pretty yeah, cool and just in case there's some people from PETA listening, when Steven says it's a whole sheep, he's not talking about their skin. He's just talking about a haircut, a haircut gone good. And uh, <laughs> so, so no animal rights activists, don't worry. We love animals and the sheep. It's just the hair. It's not the skin. Just the hair. Yeah. No animals were, were injured in this process. <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely oh, got yeah. shaved to the bone. Um, yeah, and dude, if you saw my son getting a haircut, you might actually think that we were doing harm to those sheep. My son, he cries like someone's trying to kill him. Like he's so scared and he just cries miserably when we get his haircut. 
And uh, so maybe I'll think about that next time I buy a poncho from a, an alpaca or a sheep farm. Just hear my son's cries in my ear. Well, unless it's human hair, I gather you'd be safe. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what? Why is he crying? Is it because of the the clippers, the 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 machine? I think it's the machine and just being forced to sit still. But yeah, the buzzing—it's the buzzing, right? The razor. Yeah, because it looks like a it looks like a death, like a death machine. It does look like something that could harm you. Yeah. Pointed if the reaper, shocked. if the reaper had more than one tool, or if he lost his uh whatever you call that thing, the sheath. Like a scathe, I think. A scathe, that's right. If he lost his scathe, he'd uh the next thing he'd grab would be a uh electronic shaver. Yeah, just shave people. Just, that's how they would die. Hold them to the ground and shave them. <laughs> In all places they don't want to be shaved. <laughs> That'd be the worst part. Not there. Right. Anywhere but there. <laughs> Not my eyebrows. <laughs> Take my hair. My sideburns. Take them. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Um, but it's one I wonder when he'll grow out of that. I wonder when he'll make peace with the razor. Yeah, yeah. I think a couple a couple more. And last time he had his grandma with him, so she was getting her haircut, but he was still so traumatized. So next time I'll go in with him. And I don't like going to like a lot of the local haircutters are are fairly uh, inexpensive. And um, I go to those ones and they do a fine job. I mean, I have friends that pay 600, 700, 800, 1000 baht for a haircut. I never pay more than 150 baht. So I'm like the cheap guy, the frugal, frugal Fanaro. And, uh, but for our son, we obviously take him to a good place in the mall. But I think next time I'll fork over the money, the 400, 500 baht, and just sit there and let him watch it happen to me. And then hopefully that helps. But yeah, it's going to take a couple tries, man. A couple tries to get him. Yeah, maybe that, that's a great idea. Maybe that'll help because he'll feel like my life is not in danger if my dad's doing it and he's cool. You know, maybe that he'll just pick up on that and basically absorb that um, behavior. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was listening to one of Jordan Peterson's um, podcasts and he was talking a lot about when you're in a family or relationships, you're constantly monitoring monitoring, and giving back feedback um, and, and doing corrective behavior in your relationships. And that's kind of like this constant like circle of, of communication, which is, you know, really cool. And it was a really cool way of understanding it. Um, so that fits in in the sense that if he sees you doing something that it's likely he's able to model it because that's something that's, you know, considered to be normal and safe and normalized, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I'm wondering if that's what Qatar is doing, you know, in the world cup, Qatar is hosting the world cup. And I'm wondering if they're trying to, to model, model behaviors and set a standard and make it easier to digest. But as you know, Qatar is a, muslim um country and you know they they used a little bit of deception in the process but they said that basically let me just cut to the trick the chase they they don't allow alcohol sales um or consumption during the world cup which is probably the first time in history people weren't falling out of the stands cheering for the one goal of the game um but you know, this is this is a, this is something that has made the West, you know, and Budweiser particularly, who is an avid 
prolonged sponsor of the World Cup and sports. Um, and they said, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, you can you can advertise and you guys can drink two hours before the game, during the half and after the game for three hours. But then here comes the World Cup and they said, just kidding. We don't believe in drinking. In fact, it's evil. And so you're not going to do that. And Budweiser was up in arms, as were many, many, many drunken souls, uh, people that love to drink during sport. And uh, yeah, so I'm wondering if they're modeling a behavior, trying to hoping that the rest of us will jump on board, just like my son getting his haircut. Maybe if I do it first a couple times, he will see that it's okay. Um, I don't know. Have you heard about that with Qatar um, and the, the, the way they handled that? No, not really, to be honest, but I, I did hear a little bit about it, but I didn't hear about the way they handled that. Um, and yeah, I like I like that analysis. Maybe they did it to uh, to to kind of talk to model, like you said, what is corrective behavior. And, and I don't know, um, is bigotry the word or is, is piety the word is when you think that what you're doing is maybe it's piety when you're when you're pious piety. about, you know, yeah, like your religion and it's you know you should preach to other people and um but to be honest like i kind of i i kind of get it and i i respect their country and it's just kind of like well if you go into their country and their rules maybe they should have been more honest about it to the to the organization but i think if they would have been clear about it for from the beginning i don't think there would have been as much of the controversy right Absolutely. There wouldn't be that much of an emotional upheaval. And as teachers, we know that memory is connected to emotion, right? Like, so if you're excited, if you're engaged, you're more likely to remember. And we all know that the worst things that happen in our, our lives, we focus on the most. We never, we, we, we never forget those hardships. And that's because memory is tied to emotion. And maybe they were doing it strategically. Um, and at the same time, if they weren't doing it, or let's just say if they weren't trying to like manipulate, maybe they wanted to host the World Cup and they knew if they were honest that maybe FIFA and Budweiser and all these other companies that help pay would have just dropped out. And it would have been it would have been a loss. You know what I mean? They would have looked like losers if all of a sudden um, the World Cup was like, nope, we're moving it because we need alcohol. Speaking of that, it's a very interesting world we live in. And I think we should talk about that today, like uh, alcohol consumption and societies and religions and uh, why people drink, why people are against drinking as Qatar is, or as is any Muslim country. Um, why are they against it? Why do you think they're against it, Stephen? Well, I think that they look at alcohol as doing something that causes a lot of damage. And they probably look at people in the sense that they're not responsible enough to basically govern themselves so there needs to be laws to help people govern them govern them for them basically uh and i think that ultimately they've been told that alcohol is an evil evil thing um so i, I don't know i think if you have a behavior in society that is generally has has a negative effect let's say any use of drugs or alcohol and you feel like most people don't have the responsibility to to use that that drug or the discipline. Or the yeah or the discipline. discipline then is it 
is it really the wrong thing to do to, to make it illegal and stop people from doing it? But I think that's the reason why to answer your question. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, how do you feel about that personally? Like, uh, do you think, uh, is that oppressive or is it like um, a form of patronage, you know, um, uh, a form of parenting to govern in such a way where you remove um, this type of access? Like, you know, in the West, we're all about liberty and rights and freedoms. And then you have these countries that are willing to like shut that shit down and they do it in the name of God, right? And uh, do you think that's, you said, you said that you kind of have respect for that output. It is their country, blah, blah, blah. But do you, how do you feel about that in general to make it law? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'll definitely say that. Uh, number one, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to live in that, in that society or that culture. And I do think it's oppressive and I don't think it's the best way to run your country, uh, but I understand why they do it. I think that, you know, ideally what should happen is it's, you know, you educate people to make good decisions and help people mature through, through their decisions, right? You help them reflect and reflect and mature and grow. Um, but I think by taking it away, you're not allowed, you're not really allowing humans to be human and experience the human condition, which is to grow a lot of times through making mistakes. Right. Yeah. And even if you if change the change, making making mistakes, if we use something else for that terminology and synonymous and a synonymous term in my mind, instead of making mistakes would be just try things that maybe don't serve you or try things that aren't really good for you or, or you, you can grow from, or you re reflect on, reflect on change over time. So I wouldn't even call them mistakes. I'd more call them, okay, they're just, you know, you, you have natural consequences. So you don't allow people to go through that process of evolution. Um, so I think that's, that's a real shame, but I don't know. I also feel like if, if, if a lot of people, if they don't have access to that education, and people are going to cause themselves a lot of damage, then I can understand why the government just says, well, look, you guys aren't mature enough to deal with this. We're going to do it. And um, we're going to do it for you because you've proven that you're not mature enough to handle that level of level of power responsibility. Okay. Um, yeah, you say that it's uh, not really... Uh, human to like to risk to make these restri restrictions and hold uh whatever make laws pass laws restrict uh ban the the drinking of any substance or drugs um alcohol we're talking about um but what what are humans you know what are they are, are, are humans separate from nature well are i think they, uh, yeah sorry i cut you off then um no it's okay yeah, well, I think what I mean by that in the sense of like what what is humans, I think that what makes us kind of special as humans is that we do have this ability to to constantly either seek a greater awareness or grow and expand more uh, through our consciousness. And I think we also have this amazing ability to have experiences and then and to reflect and then kind of refine our behavior. And then somewhere in this process, it feels like you you have an experience and when you can reflect on it and internalize it 
then you kind of reach another level of awareness and you kind of reach a new understanding and appreciation and you can kind of make a decision based on that. And if you, if you have never had the chance to have experiences that were negative and internalize them and, and perhaps choose to do better, choose to grow or choose to, to take a different path or develop in a different way, then basically someone has taken away your, your opportunity to, to flourish as an individual. And it's like if I tried to protect my daughter from falling down all the time, you know, I don't want her to fall down. But if I stopped her every time she was to fall, she would never learn how to, to correctly balance herself because she knew that she would know that someone's always trying to catch her. She has to learn how to fall and she has to learn what pain is so she can understand the, the world and then reconfigure her brain around that and say, oh, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get this. Do I want that? And how, you know, how do I prevent that? So I don't know if you, if you ban things from the world, if you, if you ban substances, you're basically saying that this, this substance is so harmful that it's, it's, we can't even allow people to take it because the chances of them moving through it psychologically and emotionally and spiritually uh, is, is far less than the damage it's going to cause the individual. And I think there are drugs like that, right. That are super, um, maybe not super addictive, but super dangerous or pernicious and cause a lot of harm. Um, but I think that's what you're taking away from people. And that's, that's the human condition, right? Is that we have this amazing capacity to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I think that's what kind of makes us, makes us awesome as humans. Yeah, man, that's, that's excellent. And I really like your analogy to, um, child development in this in this conversation um we're talking about uh you know the right of governments or religious bodies to dictate and control the access and behaviors um of yeah. people and i really like that you brought the kids up because you know we're both teachers we're both fathers and dude i am constantly stressed on my son we've taken the, the little gate off the stairs so now he's free and uh, I'm scared, man, because everything, this is not the West. Everything is made out of, you know, um, well, concrete and uh, textiles and hard um, hot, uh, flooring tiles. You know, it's like hit your head on that stuff. There ain't no carpet to break your fall. There's no padding down there on the floor. It is straight, solid rock. Um, and so I'm very fearful of that. However, I do agree with you. I do believe it's important that kids learn these lessons. I do believe that you have to let them go. You have to give them enough slack on that leash of parenthood um, to find their way to learn from, from reality, basically. You know, and you're right. If you don't, if you shield them from it, the time it does happen, it could just be so bad, right? It could be because they don't have experience in how to fall. I'm sorry about the tangent, but like um, in snowboarding and skateboarding, one of the things you have to learn, what helps you get to a, a very high level of performance in both those sports, uh, skateboarding and snowboarding, is learning how to fall. It is the most important thing, is learning how to, to reduce the impact of your fall by torquing your body, uh, stretching out in different ways, rolling. And I feel like kids and humans learn this too by being exposed to falling and they become great walkers and athletes and they don't fall much, but it took a lot of falls to learn that skill. 
Um, so I see what you're saying completely. I love the uh, analogy <clears throat> for sure. Um, but you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, Qatar, you know, we don't have to pick on them right now, even though from what I've been reading and what I've heard, there's probably some reasons to pick on them. But let's not talk about that because we're talking about this society and uh, alcohol and stuff like this. Um, so let's pretend, let's pretend, Stephen, we're talking about having rights and choices, and that's what makes us human and learning uh, to choose and to learn from our choices and decisions. Um, but let's say, uh, let's say about 70% of human entertainment is just soaked in alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. So is it really a choice if you're constantly like, go to the store and look at the alcohol section. Okay. And then, and then go look at the dairy section. Dairy's huge. I mean, dairy, you got cheeses, you got creams, you got milks, you got yogurt, you got so much stuff, but compare the size of those two aisles and alcohol is always extremely more abundant. And now let's talk about sports. Since we're talking about Qatar and the world cup, I mean, man, uh, Dude, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I hear you, man, about choices. I do. And I believe that allowing them to make choices and to fall once in a while and learn how to fall better, more gracefully is important. But at the same time, are we in nature? Do our societies in nature? Are we in that human zone or are we in a more artificial zone? Because if you watch any sports on television, there's alcohol, science everywhere. There is subliminal messagery everywhere the fans are drinking a, a lot of them are drinking there are banners you know they even have embroidery on their garments sometimes um, and that's just sports and then if you go to hollywood those sadistic bastards <laughs> oh just got myself canceled again uh no but you know like if you go to hollywood you see that they're pushing a message right like stories that have nothing to do with this substance are just in like saturated with it right and it's like a messaging so i guess i'm going back to qatar now but you said it's good to make choices and to be have the ability to make choices so that we can learn on our own but what if the choice is skewed. What do you think about that? Do you think that possibly there is a skewing of our choice? Yeah. And there definitely, I think there definitely is if you're not making choices from a place of creation. So if you're reacting because of your culture, you're reacting because of what's around you, your conditioning, you know, to answer your previous qu question, I would argue that we are not in a state of nature. We are in an artificial cocoon of, of of plastic and concrete and glass, you know, within within nature that we're not really in contact with nature at all. Uh, so we don't we don't follow the same rules of nature, and we have um, as humans we've created our own reality and everything that our own entertainment, our own we've kind of manipulated nature to just create our own artificial nature, right? Um, so I think if, and then going back to this idea of, you know, do we act, are we actually in control? And I think that's a great question. And one, one of the questions I always ask my students is, is that, do you really have free choice? You know, do you really have free will? Do you really have the opportunity to, to choose your own destiny or is it, is it fate? Because 
usually the way that fate works and destiny is that it doesn't matter what you do, even if you know your destiny, the the very act of avoiding it usually takes you one step closer to to completing it or to manifesting that 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 prophecy or that that destiny, right? So I think that's the issue is that are people really reacting? Are they reacting with with like are they reacting unconsciously or are are we rea- are we creating consciously about who we want to be? Maybe a way of framing this to maybe to add a layer to it or to to take it not to take it in another direction, but just to add a layer to it. Maybe it would be the the way that I kind of frame it in my head is the pros and cons of drinking alcohol, right? And let's let's assume that you're in a society where you can drink alcohol. And then you have to, then you have to make those decisions for yourself about the pros and the cons. If that, if you're living in a society where that's being taken away from you, well, then you can't, you can't decide what the pros and cons are, right? You can't decide how you're going to move through it and what decisions you'll make and what decisions that you won't make. So I feel like you've been robbed of, of the human experience, you know, because you should be old enough to be educated and have the ability to have experiences and reflect, Right. Uh, but I think then it comes down to the the pros and cons of, of kind of, okay, if I'm living in a society where I'm saturated by alcohol, can I drink responsibly and is something, is it enjoyable and am I connecting and does it feel good? And is it, is it worth, is it valuable to me? And it's, is it give my life meaning and, you know, uh, and then you can kind of make decisions from there. But, um, yeah, man. I think that's a great question. I think that majority of people, um, the majority of people, they just, we are all living, we're all products of our environment, right? So if you're living in a society where alcohol is banned or it's in every single corner store, like it is here in Colombia, then it's, it's going to shape your decisions and probably influence you to, and then, yeah, are you even making those decisions or are you just, are you just doing what everybody else is doing? Yeah. So I think it's a great question. Yeah, and it's a very, very, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I find it hard to answer, um, but it takes time to learn through uh, decision making and through trial and error and through experience. It takes a lot of time. You know, they say learning the hard way. You know, many people have to learn the hard way. So what does that mean? And how hard does it need to get? And, you know, before we go into what you're what you want to look at, right? These these choices that we make, which I, I think that's the driving factor of this conversation. I do want to drop a little bit of historical uh evidence and argumentation for prohibition of alcohol. So in the United States in the 1920s, um, uh, and it ran through the 30, uh, 33, 1933, but for about 13 years, uh, alcohol was illegal in the United States. And why is that? I mean, it's an in, it's in a capitalistic society. And we all know, look at marijuana today. People, Governments are making shitloads of money. So why would anybody want to reduce that kind of tax revenue or business revenue for business owners? Why would they want to do that? They wouldn't do it for fun in a power trip because everybody feels, everybody feels that economic strain. 
Okay, but in the 20s, you have a group of women, uh, Protestants, uh, religious leaders that came together and lobbied to uh, eradicate, uh, criminalize the sale of alcohol. Now, again, these are not stupid people. They're not stupid oppressors. They are people like you and me. They found a reason and an argument, and they won a reason and an argument to prohibit alcohol in the United States, starting in the 20s. And the story goes, just I'm, I'm trying not to go too long, is that their argument was um, that, uh, so the Women's Organization for National Prohibition Reform, okay, it, it, it was kind of the spearhead of this. It was women. It's very interesting, right? Think about it, women. Why would they do that? I'm sure women drank, but I think that the the choices, the opportunity for choices that people weren't making the right choices, and in particularly their husbands. Uh, what happens if you know what in our in our discovery of what's right and wrong through the choices that we make and through experiences, what what is at loss? And so these women said that uh, it was not just moral. So they believed in the moral, the biblical, right? But in the Bible, it never says, do not drink to excess that I know of. And if it does, please let me know because I'm still a student and I I'm a forever student of the Bible. If you can find it, let me know. Um, I need to know. Um, but, but they said that it was based on the rise of a criminal class, corruption of public officials, widespread disrespect for the rule of law um, and economic impacts on families um, and violence in the household. And their list goes on and on for why we they wanted to take away the choice of alcohol. I mean, these are women, dude. And women are small and men can get drunk and they can be violent. And I think the women found they're very, very intelligent religious women. And they 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 went straight to the courts, right? And they said no. And so the 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 prohibition lasted for 13 years. The flip side of that is, well, when it's illegal, it's a lot more expensive and people became rich, you know, and then it just got worse. Now you have even organized crime, which is worse than just normal crime. Um so anyways, I wanted to drop that knowledge really quick. It's not just Qatar. It's not just the Muslims. It's the Christians at certain periods throughout history. And it happened in my own country, the United States, between 1920 and 1933. And it was driven by women that were tired of getting beaten. They were tired of losing their houses because people were drinking too much and they couldn't control their money. So there's my, my little bit, right? Like, you know, if one person's choices, uh, now this is coming back to you, Stephen. What if someone's choices doesn't just affect them? It affects the house. It affects the wife. It affects the children. Is that the same? Should we have freedom of choice all the time? Yeah, I think that's a great example that you mentioned there because there's a great connection to say that within different religious groups and different communities at different times, you know, people have tried to do the same thing or are doing the same thing which is restrict the sale of alcohol because people have said it's bad and has bad, uh, a whole heap of dangerous, pernicious consequences for 
the not only the individual but the family unit right which is what you just said yeah man great connection there i really like that uh you know i think the individual the way that i would phrase it i think the individual has a responsibility to be very aware and conscious of the decisions that they make and how it impacts the others right everybody around them and I think that if you try to model what is a good citizen in inverted commas or what could be a noble purpose or, you know, ideally what we want to do is that everyone we touch in our lives, we make better, right? We enhance, we give, we provide, we share, we educate, you know, so that's the whole, that that's a beautiful thing because then that sprawls from the family unit and then sprawls into the, into the local community and then hopefully sprawls even further. Uh, so I think individuals have you know if you're a father figure of a house you have a strong responsibility not to drink up all your wage not to gamble all your wage not to beat your spouse you know to beat your children to be present and uh and you, you know operate in a way that's going to be beneficial for the family unit um but the, the question is is that if you don't want to do it right if you do want to drink up your your wage, if you and you do want to beat your wife, or you do, you do want to um, drink up all your salary, then who's got the right to stop you, right? Well, so maybe maybe, maybe maybe your community, because they see where you're going to end up, and a lot of humans have big hearts, and if you're failing on the streets, they they feel this necessity, this urge to clean up the streets and help that person. So it's not fair to them if you want to drink up all your wages because you know what? Food and rent and feces, toilet paper, plumbing, it costs money. Yep. It costs money. So, I mean, I'm just saying like, I don't know what I'm saying, but I, I do well, I do know what I'm saying. I'm saying that this, this idea of freedom of choice is and I'm going to go way out on a limb and I might even offend you. I feel it's, it's degrading to an extent um, because it's all about me, 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 me. It's not about community. It's not about this one power, this energy force, which we are, we are all in the family of, of society. We are all human. And, and if, if I don't want to take care of someone who spent their wages, their whole life, drinking, drugging, whoring, and here they are in their 60s. What do you do with those people? You can't throw them off a cliff. You sure as hell don't want them to jump off a cliff. You, it becomes the responsibility of the community. And it's not fair. Yeah, well, you're right. It is the responsibility of the community because if that person is destroying the family, then what's going to happen to that woman? What's going to happen to, you know, what's going to happen to those kids? And then how is that exactly. going to, you know, perpetuate? And then everything is kind of connected. So then that mentality, and then that guy has a bunch of friends at the bar and, you know, the, the effects just keep spiraling and, you know, with that inertia. Uh, yeah, look, I think this is why family is so important. I think this is why, Self-regulation is so important. I think this is why education is important. Um, I think that, you know, you can try to prevent a lot of that stuff from happening, but sometimes you can't stop people from destroying themselves. You know, if, if people have got trauma or if they're just, if they're, 
destructive by nature or if they've got the bitten by the alcohol the alcoholism bug maybe is one way of kind of framing that or if they're you know struggling with addiction then it's there's not a lot that you can do um but the problem is when kids are involved and and that you know and that's why we have you know the um like community services and child protection and those things in in western society but ideally the family is is the first support unit right and then again it, I, I really liked jordan peterson's podcast the other day when he says that if there's no kind of laws in the household and there's no nothing sacred uh, and then there's no kind of god then then how do we kind of establish you know we, we then anything kind of goes and sometimes by making things sacred and protecting things we can keep things together and and and, and value them more than what we could what potentially could seem to be quite um, banal uh, and I'll give you a quick example is that the other day I went to a Colombian wedding and the priest was talking about the difference between uh, a marriage and like a civil union and saying that nobody wants to get married anymore. Nobody wants to have kids. And he was talking about that a marriage should be something that you honor. A marriage should be something that's sacred and, and beautiful. And, and he said that, you know, it, it's going to get difficult and, you know, it's building something together. And a lot of people are just not interested in doing that because um, it's, it's work. And he says that he was talking about if you don't honor the person that you're with and you don't really make that sacred, then what have you got, right? He's just got, you've just got someone that basically to, to join with for a short amount of time, just for pleasure. And then when things get difficult, then it falls apart. And that's what he was kind of saying. And I never had heard marriage being explained like that in that way. And a lot of what he was saying kind of felt like I've heard it in other mediums, but not through a Catholic, you know, a Catholic lens, because it was obviously it was a Catholic priest. Uh, so I thought there was there was real value in that, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I thought there was really real value in that. So I think the message is, is that we want to keep some things sacred. We want to keep, yeah you know, something sacred in the household and we want to pass on those traditions and those cultures and to, to keep, keep things together and to keep us on the right path. And if we don't, and then what's the consequence of that is that things can fall apart really quickly. And, you know, that's, that's also human nature, but you know, it doesn't have to be like that. So I thought that was interesting. And maybe that was a, another little anecdote that sort of supports that argument of, of what do we hold sacred? And how do we protect that? And, you know, yes, I agree with you. It's responsibility of the community, but maybe it's the responsibility first of the family unit, the, the people around them, the structures, you know, educating people from community. And then after that, that's when, when the, you know, a bigger hand kind of steps in. Yeah, for sure. But again, we're talking about the choices that people make and it was women that out, that typically lead the way. Of, of banning alcohol it is women and uh, you know history has been written to fool us all uh, you know we have these stories all these stories and i think a lot of it's bullshit to be honest that's uh, to lead us in the wrong direction but women have always had a power you know god gave it to them and they are powerful if your wife gets mad at you look at her face and then analyze your feelings it hurts it is power my wife can crush my soul with a glance. 
And that's fucking crazy shit. And I respect her. I do. But now let's go back to alcohol. The, the primary alcoholics are men. Okay. Men are beastly. They're big. Who's the biggest person in that house? Men. What's the first thing that goes, Stephen, when we drink and we get drunk? What is the first thing that flees humanity's personality? Yeah. Character. What it's, is it? I think it's fear. And it's, it's also inhibition. It's inhibition. Yeah, inhibition. Yeah. So that's the first thing that goes. Anybody, I worked in the food industry for many years and we were taught to cut people off. And how do we know? Their inhibition leaves them. That is the first thing that goes. So we're talking about choices. Talk about choices. Hmm. What kind of choices are these men making after two beers? The right one? Are they sitting back logically thinking about how to improve the world? How do it make sure their family is taken care of? No fucking way. Inhibition mm. is gone. And this is a scientific fact. Anybody want to argue with me? Go find your data and come challenge me. I'm ready to go anytime, anywhere. This is a serious thing. So we're talking about choices. And I know where this romantic ideal comes from. But choice isn't always good. Not always. And we were talking about the community um, being responsible for this person. And then now we're also talking about the family being responsible for this person. But if you have a person with a problem with any substance, um, how do they respond to people that try to intervene? Yeah, not Pleasantly. great. Yeah, not all great. ears. Are they all ears? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they become all mouth and, and hand, right? Mouth and hand. And... Uh, Anyways, I think it's important we keep talking about this choice stuff, but uh, yeah, well, yeah, can man, I just I... mention that this? I've got Wikipedia <laughs> open here in front of me, and it says that the Dry Crusade in the 1920s and the Prohibition was revived by the National Prohibition Party, founded in 1869, and the Women's Christian Temperance Union, Union founded in 1873, and then that group advocated the prohibition of alcohol as a method for preventing through education abuse from alcoholic husbands um and then it was believed that organization could you know reach children uh so i think that's that's a very strong argument well it's it's like you said it's factual is that a lot of it was probably the the, the movement was created by women because of the the destruction within the household and if men are inhibited um inhibited or inhibited then what they're going to do is is come from a place of um, like a, from instincts and instinctive primal behavior. And then that's not always a great place for a man to, to operate. Um, and then that can, that can spiral. So, you know, maybe that to me, maybe that was a manifestation of, of fear and control uh, founded in a good place. You know, if, if men are told to drink, it's like, all right, culturally, everybody drinks men are told to drink as a way of connecting as a way of socializing as a way of sharing their emotions as a way of entertainment and then they drink and then they don't behave the way that everybody wants them to behave and then the women are pissed off right so they're sort of getting pulled over here one direction and then they come home in the household and they're getting pulled in a different direction so yeah i think that's a great point to mention that that was that maybe that was the cause and as far as choices, well, 
I think that maybe uh maybe not everybody maybe not everybody sh is equipped to make good choices you know but I don't know if you can take away the choices from people and not you know I don't know if that's the answer I don't know if that's the answer like I, I what is the the human spirit right what do you do with humanity how does how do humans maybe another question that will fit into this is how do humans go from being naive and ignorant or arrogant and com completely stupid into into let's say that is the baseline right and let's say enlightenment from like the buddha is is the is the pinnacle right how do we move up and down this ladder of or do we move up and down or do we move you know is it linear linear transition how do we move up that linear so that we can make good choices and i guess that's a question i propose to you because you know, I realistically can't see you advocating to take away choice from, you know, 330 million Americans saying, oh, well, we can't let you guys think for yourself. Um, so how do we move up and down that scale? You know, what do we do with that? Yeah, well, first of all, if I ever run for president or if I ever get opportunity to kingship, throw me over people. Because if I was a king, I'd be taking all your rights away. I'd just give you, the, give you the Bible on Christmas Day and say, that's your entertainment. That's your education. Go build and create. No drinking. No smoking. Fuck that shit. That's really what you would do? That's really what you would do? Uh, I'm, a, I'm an oppressor, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, the beauty of the Bibles, speaking of it, is that the reason everybody's always like, why doesn't God interfere? He's all powerful. It's because God wants to give humans that power of choice. He says, do this, follow me, or hell is on your doorstep. Okay. <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. Or hell is on your doorstep. But what does he do? He allows choice. So next time people are crying about, that why is god so evil why does he let this happen he's not he's just allowing choice and he's monitoring it and uh and ladies when i say he i mean she also it's just i don't want to say he slash she fucking they shit when i say he i'm talking about men and women are men so please don't 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 lose me yet but yeah man like i don't know god gives us choice and then hell reigns yeah, and what is the story hell? of what, the what Bible is... that overcomes over and over again? It's 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 reciprocal, not reciprocal, cyclical. Excuse me, cyclical. Yeah, and God every once in a while does have to drop the bomb, dude. He does. He's like, oh my God. Okay, we got to press reset and start over and see if it goes better. A couple more rules, maybe they'll make better choices. But, but maybe this is a big problem. But 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 like, let's go back to this concept of hell. You know, like. For me, hell is not the place upstairs or downstairs. You know, hell is making bad choices and living within your own reality of the pain and suffering that you've caused um, basically other people and then living with guilt because I think those things are a living hell. So, you know, those, it's a kind of like a metaphorical sense of hell, but it's very real at the same time too. So yeah, hell is not a location. Yeah. It's an experience. Exactly. So make choices that serve you 
Otherwise, you will put yourself in an eternal place of pain and punishment. And possibly others too. Yeah, no one most ever kind likely, of Most likely others too. Yeah, no one ever explains that to you about the sense of, of choices and decisions and, and consequences and about what it does to the to the individual soul. They kind of just tell you not to do things because it's bad for yourself or for a society or whatever. But you know, when you start looking at things like that, then you, you start to realize, well, every choice that I make is going to affect me in some way, profoundly. Yeah. And then every choice that I make, if people depend on me, it's going to affect them too in some way, directly or indirectly, right? And yeah. so that people don't explain that to you either. And then when you have that reality, then then you then you could kind of think that, well, maybe I shouldn't um, drink all my salary because then I won't have money to, to share with my family because that's, and then that's going to be painful for me, you know, in guilt and remorse. And that's going to be painful for my family because they're going to be hungry. What is the argument of people that don't explain to us this detailed really complex experience that we're going through what like it's it's our it's our mottos freedom independence these are two of the most destructive words on the face of the earth even though they sound lovely they sound wonderful but what does that do it takes accountability away from you by saying you're free what do you mean free? What the hell does that even mean? Oh, I can do what I want. I can make my own choices. I mean, you don't control my body. Whatever, dude. Like, what is freedom and independence except for an ideology? Selfish, narcissistic ideology. There's no such thing as freedom. Look around your room. Did you build any of that shit? No. Do you like it? Yes. You're not free. You're not independent. You are dependent on others. All of us are. I don't care how introverted you are. You're fucking reading books. Did you write those books? No, you fucking didn't. Nobody's independent. So sorry, can't not it's not a tangent. It's actually a spear point. It's a spearhead. And I'm taking aim right now at this idea of choice. Okay. And going back to Qatar, they don't believe in choice. A lot of Muslim countries do not. And that's we say that's not fair. But I just told you what I feel. I'm not Muslim, no. And I don't, I wouldn't want to even really live over there. Um, but maybe they know something we don't. China, there ain't no freedom. You can't, you're not free to peruse, go on a little two hour holiday on YouTube or Facebook. No, you're not free because they know what freedom does independence choice what does it do it corrupts in fact scientifically uh, there's a huge uh looking at the internet now uh uwhealth.com um org sorry dot org uh uw health uh anyways there was a dr drastic rise in depression and anxiety with this invention of choice you used to go to the store and there was a bin filled with flour and a bin filled with rice, no names, no colors, just the product. Eventually, people wanted to make money and hoard in their independence and their freedom to exploit others. Uh, and they created all these brands. And then, of course, competition ensues. 
And now you have 17 boxes of the same exact product with a different logo, different choice. And then there's messages that have to be coming through the phone and the TV and the posters on the, the light poles and whatever. And pretty soon you're standing there in an aisle looking at 17 products of the same exact fucking thing. This has been scientifically proven to spike anxiety, depression, um, et cetera. So I, you know, I could sound like a, an, a, what do you call it? Uh, enemy of freedom and choice and, ch uh, and independence, but I'm not, I'm playing the devil's advocate because Lord knows I like those things, the, the freedom and independence, but I am fully aware of what that does to a family. So if you have a, an alcoholic husband, well, if he's championing this idea of freedom and independence, and the first thing that goes when he reaches his freedom and independence is his inhibition. And he's supposed to be the household leader, you know, the provider. I don't know. I see why these women did it. I do see it. And women are powerful. And when they organize, they can change the world for the better. Um, I'm not talking about today, by the way, uh, but throughout history. Um, but I think this is really important to think about these things, these choices and stuff. Uh, we'll, we should get back. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I'm going too far? Cause sometimes I do. I just speak what's in there. There's something inside of me and sometimes I just let it go. Well, no, I think that you're speaking from the heart heart. And I think that this idea of independence that you're playing with is, is a good one to kind of unpack and, and, and try to kind of, um, kind of, kind of play with and to realize what is, what does that word mean? And what are the consequences of that? So do you feel like in society at the moment that this idea of independence and freedom is is destroying the fabric of, of our cohesion and everybody kind of wants to do their own thing? Nothing is kind of sacred. What do you, what do you think that the majority of dissent, I guess, or um, comes from and what damage do you see it's doing in society? Well, if we're talking about today, 20... 22 mid-december 2022 uh i think it's absolutely destructive but the idea of independence like let's say or choice let's say that there's two books three books on the bookshelf five books on the bookshelf your son or daughter is about to go to sleep and you say what story do you want to read and they say, I want to read this one. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yes, yes. Give them choice. But this is why that passion just came out for all of you, Stephen and listeners. Uh, why that passion came out of me, just erupted out of me, um, is because I see the darkest side of this. And I believe we are the most stratified we've ever been in the history of humanity. And this goes back over 100 years. I think it started over 100 years ago, well over 100 years ago. We're the most stratified, most ununified, most depressed, anxious, sad, selfish that we've, I, in my mind, in my understanding, um, is right now the most than ever. And it's supposed to be that way. Again, we're in the Tower of Babel right now. Everybody wants to make a name for themselves. You know, and that's Nimrod's sons, right? We are the children of Nimrod. 
And you don't know, you don't want to know how that story ends, folks. It doesn't end well for Nimrod and his sons or the tower that they built uh, to glorify their own names. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm fearful, man. I'm fearful. We are social animals. Again, I truly believe we are dependent, 100% dependent. Look at your fingernails, look at your teeth, look at your skin. You're pretty dependent on others' help. Uh, so no matter how self-righteous or how you, how free you think you are, how independent, how special you think you are, look around yourself. Look at yourself. Go for a walk in the woods. You're going to be scared as shit. Especially if there's even a fucking porcupine, you're scared because they can poke you. You ain't got no hair. Anyways, man, deep stuff. <laughs> I'm looking at your face and you're just like, Who, what is that? What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. I'm going to roll with it. And I, I, I feel like I feel like I want to keep going down this rabbit hole because it's fun. Uh, and can we come back and start zooming in on ourselves? Because I feel like I have some confessions to make. And I believe that's kind of what you wanted to talk about. Um, and you want to bring this back and you want to talk about choices? Is that what you want to talk about? Yeah, kind of. I, well, you know, we can keep going in any direction you want. I just wanted to ask you personally, because Stephen, uh, you're not just the person that you see in the mirror. You are much, much more than that. And I can say that from experience. I can say that with opinion. But you in you impact my life. There's no doubt about that. You know, I tell you all the time. Um, I'm grateful to have you as a friend. I look up to you in many, many ways. Um, and I know that you've made a choice in your life that I truly want to make. And uh, again, you're inspiring me. Um, but enough of kissing your ass. Uh, I wanted. I, I guess I just wanted to know why you quit drinking alcohol because you made a personal choice i mean choice right so we're talking about choices and you made a choice a very uh deliberate and intentful one to quit drinking and, and i'm curious why yeah well thanks man i really appreciate that and uh you know we're not perfect but we're in in this process together my friend of of growing and becoming more and 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 maybe expanding as people, right? And I think you're on this journey with me. Well, I know you're on this journey with me. Uh, well, let me rephrase the word, not to be pedantic. I'd say instead of saying, let's, instead the way I think about it is not that I'm quitting something, I'm kind of being liberated from it. So I, I feel like I've been completely liberated from alcohol. How do you liberate yourself from alcohol? Maybe that's the that that's the way that I kind of have framed it in my mind of it's, it's like a liberation. And did you ask me how, or did you ask me why? 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 Okay. The, the answer to that is very simple. Um, I looked at what I was giving in, to alcohol. And I, I looked at what uh, it was taking away from me as an individual. And then I looked at what I was getting the, the benefits from alcohol and, and how it enhanced my life and who I was. Uh, and I looked at how it was impacting not only who I wanted to be as a person, but how it was impacting uh, my goals and the person that I want to be and my personal growth and development. And then when I looked at all that analytically, I was like, well, it's pretty obvious to me that 
alcohol is not really serving me. It's not really helping me at all. Um, yeah, it's fun. I enjoy drinking. I enjoy the, you know, feeling that the buzz, um, but I just feel like it just takes so much away from me. Uh, it takes my presence. It takes my energy. Uh, it takes my mental faculties. It takes my memory. It takes my money. Um, it wears on my relationship. You know, it wears on my ability to learn. And then, you know, looking at that, it was just like, fuck, man, it's, it was a no brainer. And I was just like, all right, it's time to let this go. And, and, you know, basically unshackle myself and be liberated. And after that, to be honest, it was, it was really easy. Um, my wife bought a beer today. We went to a restaurant, my wife bought a beer and like the waiter came around he had like the, the whole, um, drinks, like a, a whole tray of drinks. And he had a, like a, a dark beer. And I was like, Oh, is that for our table? Is it? That's interesting. And he's like, yeah, Killer. My wife was like, yeah, you know, it's for me. I was like, and I kind of was like for a, for a split second, I was like a little bit envious. And I was like, ah, I remember now. I remember why that, that drink's not for me. And that, um, and then I was happy again. Um, so yeah, man, that's definitely why. And yeah, the long story short is just, I feel like it takes a lot more than it gives and I'm not prepared to give it any more of my energy anymore. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Um, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And, uh, now I want to, so do you feel that your life is better today? Do you feel that you're more in control of your destiny your your, your goals today than you were two years ago? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. You know, taking this back to choices again, one of the main things is, is that choice affecting other people and then having taking on that responsibility and then go, okay, well then I, I have the power to change that. I have the power to change that. There's a really loud motorbike outside. Can you hear it? No, <laughs> not at all. There's <laughs> great road microphones. <laughs> road should send us some money for dropping their name. <laughs> but no, I couldn't hear it. Okay, great. Sorry, I think, um, yeah, I think f firstly is that, you know, that's definitely a, a um, that's very kind of inspiring, a, a very empowering to think about. Um, I have the ch I have the 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 power to to basically rework and and put energy into my relationship in a way I didn't have um, energy for it. But you know, to answer your question, um, what was it you said that does it? Do you feel better? Do you feel better? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, do you do you feel that you're better off in attaining your goals? Your, That's your, right. Your, what you wanted in your life, your goals, your desires. Is your life better without it? Yes. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that again because I wanted to answer that properly. Um, yeah. Do I feel better? And do I feel better? And do I feel like closer to achieving my goals? Let me let me answer that first. Firstly, is that Yes, I think that, man, if you're a teacher, you get paid to use your brain. And alcohol, in my mind, damages my brain. So, you know, why am I going to do, you know, my goal is to become the greatest teacher of all time and be extremely impactful, influential, passionate, um, knowledgeable educator. So why am I going to do anything that's going to, you know, blunt in my sword, my greatest 
attribute and atrophy. Okay. Well, what I need the most, right? So immediately when you stop drinking, your memory gets better. Your focus is better. Your concentration is better. You you know, um, you, you have more presence. So it's kind of like, that's, that's, well, that, then that becomes very evident. And well, that's, that's a, a good decision. And so you become, um, closer to achieving that goal. Also, if you do exercise, it's, alcohol seems to undo a lot of the exercise that you do. So, you know, you you train three days a week or four days a week at the gym and then you drink two, two days a week and you basically, you know, 20, 30% of the week you're drinking alcohol and you're kind of undoing the hard work that you, you're doing at the, the gym. Now, like weekends for me are not, um, they're not drinking days and recovery days. They're extra training days that I get to train. And now I don't, I'm not hindered by any type of recuperation days and, and not hindered by any alcohol kind of poisoning that I have to deal with um, or hangovers or, or steps back because I don't have that anymore. I can just have days that I train and days that I don't train and I don't have to worry about alcohol undoing the work that I did. And that's amazing. So there's two goals there that fit really deeply into my life of exercise, which I think it is super important for your mental health and for your body. And, you know, if, if you need your brain in your job, then you probably want to minimize the the harm you're doing with alcohol. Um, and then if you use the word better or superior, does that make you superior? Like a superior sort and like a superior version of yourself. Then I would argue that maybe not a better version that these kind of, this kind of terminology of, kind of been unpacking and, and trying to de deconstruct it. Maybe that's not a better version of yourself, but I think it can just make you more kind of fluid, more focused and less, um, less hindered. Okay. It's like, it's yeah, like, that, that yeah. sounds like a better, that sounds like a better version of a hindered, unmotivated, energy deprived, uh, forgetful, uh, cognitively uh, delayed personnel person. Um, I mean, I think you're being, I, sorry, I'm going to criticize you. I think you're being like way too uh, concerned with saying what you're going to, what you feel, because from what you just said to me, you are a superior version of yourself, superior, super just means above. Okay. Your energy is above your performance is above your memory is above when you don't drink. So let's not play semantics or politics. Let's speak the truth. And from what I hear, you are a better version of yourself. Absolutely, 100%. All right. That's well, it. if you look at it through that lens, okay, I, I think that you're right. Okay, because you're less hindered and you do feel like you can accomplish more and you can accomplish more. So in that way, you are a better version of yourself. And so I agree and you're right. Um and I think that it's just, it was just complete liberation. I was just something that was, it was like kind of like the last thing that was, I felt like was holding me back. And in the sense of something that I was doing to myself, right? Like a habit and a behavior. It wasn't something that it's, it's, there's still other things I need to work on, like things that I have in my head that are already there that I need to unpack and fix or work on. But they're, they're internalized things. But like, as far as behaviors, that was a big behavior that I was now feel completely liberated that now I'm like, oh, I don't do that anymore. Now I am liberated from that. And now I can do so much more and I can give so much more. And I've, I've allowed myself to be unhindered. And that just feels 
phenomenal. And I tell you what feels fucking amazing is that you wake up on a Saturday morning, like every Saturday morning, and you feel great and you feel refreshed and you get a you know, cup of coffee, and you look out the window, and you're like, what am I going to do today? You can watch the sunrise if you want to. You know, you can you can be there and engage in conversation with your spouse and kids and or whatever, or just go to the gym and go for a run. It's like you're not for one second, you know, underneath this huge pain and fog of ah waking up feeling hung hungover. And that's that's horrible. I feel like it's a huge waste of time. Um, so every every time you wake up, it's like I wake up and I'm like, oh, thank God I'm not drinking anymore. Like this is beautiful. This is so much better. And so, yeah, it was a huge liberation, man. And, and I definitely feel like I've become a better teacher for it too. Cause I'm, I feel like I'm sharper and retain things. So I think it's just, it's been, um, it's, it's kind of amplified itself. Right. But a lot of it is just reframing. So, yeah, I hope, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a I guess the, the long answer, uh, just unpacking some of those things. Yeah, that's wonderful, man. That's wonderful. And thanks for sharing it. Um, I'm sure that many people need to hear that. Um, you know, Black Alicious, I don't know if you ever listened to them. They're this like uh, American hip hop group. Uh, and I say hip hop because I don't really want to call them rap because there's connotations that go with rap and uh, more connotations, right? Uh, but they're a hip hop group. And one of their songs uh, says like, you can wake up and say, uh, good morning, God, or good God morning, right? And it's such a powerful line because they're just playing with words because they're great hip hop artists, wonderful, smart men, two men. And uh, they're called Black Alicious. It's two uh, African-American dudes and they're just super amazing. But that's their whole point. They gave up alcohol too, right? And, and he's talking exactly about that feeling that we get when we wake up and we're like, oh God, it's morning, shit. I wish it was 2 a.m. so I could sleep for six more hours and not miss the day. Or you can wake up every day going, good morning world, how are you? What are we gonna do today? Uh-oh, my son's here. Oh, That's okay. He's outside. he's outside the door. Okay. Let's see if he, if he knocks, I'll open it for a second. But anyways, yeah, so that's what you're saying, right? Is that, um, you know, uh, the choice that you've made, the decision, actually was a liberating force of good in your life. Um, and I think that's very important. And now, let me ask, how many days a week did you drink on average? I know that's a very personal question. And if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But I don't see you as someone that drank more than two days a week or three at the most on a holiday. I, I've known you for a long time. And yeah. So how many, what was the average? You know, in the last couple of years, I think I was drinking maybe mm, on average, maybe once a week, um, sometimes twice a week, but maybe once a week. And then sometimes even once every two weeks. So I trimmed it down. Uh, so that's, yeah, the, I, I always really drank on the the weekends or like a public holiday, maybe you have a couple beers. Um, I was drinking a fair bit with some of the teachers at my last school. They they had it was a pretty strong drinking culture at that school, um, and that. But I would only sort of mm, that that used to go on for a bit. But that was like once every three weeks. Yeah, I feel like 
if you're a responsible drinker, then you're drinking like one or two days a week is okay. I think if you're having a couple of glasses of wine, like if, if I did that myself, I would be like, oh, that's okay. Uh, it's not a huge deal. But I felt like generally keep away from alcohol during the week because I knew that the next day would be a bit rough and I didn't want to feel like that. So it wasn't huge amounts of drinking, but I think it, it felt like it was still, it was still a, like drinking two days a week, finish work on a Friday and drinking maybe five or six beers and then waking up Saturday and then feeling like, ah, sometimes, sometimes okay, mostly okay, but not, not at my best. That's amazing, man. Cause that's like one day a week. Um, and you know, that to me, one day, two days at the most, whatever on average, uh, to me, seems like very responsible drinking. Um, yet, yet you felt this internal burning, this desire, well, to enhance your life by one more day. To, 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 to give yourself a, a freedom from this bondage, so to speak. Sorry, that's my wordage. That's me talking about alcohol in my way. I'm not talking about you being bonded, but I'll, I'll be fair in my life. It's a form of bondage, um, you know. Um, so one day a week, man, but that was enough for you to recognize that there was greener grass on the other side of the fence. And so you made this choice and, and uh, you feel better today for that. And uh, can I ask you, how do you think that, you know, giving up or sorry, I shouldn't say giving up, making a choice uh, to not drink. Has that improved your patience towards family, towards relationships? Do you think that if, if you know, in any way positively impacted those aspects of your life? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's kind of like you, you, you stop drinking alcohol because you want to prioritize other things. That's a big part of it. So then it's like, okay, I want to prioritize being a better teacher. I want to prioritize being a better father, right? So then it's kind of like, well, okay, I should put more energy into these other things. And then that gives you a bit more focus and drive and maybe being a bit more reflective. And I think ultimately it takes you to having more empathy and being more selfless. So once you get into that, you know, being more selfless, then you can kind of be more patient because you can understand, okay, my daughter's screaming because she's hungry or whatever. And, you know, I don't need to get upset by that. Um, so I think it, if you, if you, if you do it with the focus, if you do something with the focus of prioritizing other things and that you value them more, it's going to motivate you to be better at the other things. Yeah. So that's the way I've kind of framed it. And, you know, this framing stuff, reframing things is, you know, that's not from me, of course, that's, you know, it's, there's logotherapy from Viktor Frankl and man search for meaning is a book that I bang on about a lot, but it's a lot of this stuff come from the, the Greeks, man. And the, the, the stoic stoic philosophers that had ideas about stoicism and about internalizing things to, to, to decide um, it's not really what happens to you. It's about what it means to you. Uh, and with that, it means that you can create choices and reframe them in the sense of, you know, the difference between giving up or liberation. That's just, that's just reframing the same thing. Again, it's playing semantics, but, but what it's doing is manipulating how you actually feel about it. You know, when I first tried to give up alcohol, 
um, then like a few years ago, I felt like I was really missing out. I feel like I was relinquishing something, um, but I didn't want to. So it was like, I was, I was doing the right thing by not drinking. I'm giving something up. I'm, I'm abstaining. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm holding out. You felt, you felt like you were missing out. You felt like you were losing something. Was that a form of delusion or are you really missing out? Well, my brain was telling me, and I think alcohol for lots of people and for myself to speak for myself is an addiction at some level, but it was, it was my brain telling me that, um, I was missing out on, on that experience of, of, of drinking and, and having fun and, and getting that buzz and feeling connected to the world and talking and being lucid. Um, but was that really real? To be honest, no, I don't think it was. I, I think that's just my brain's just trying to convince me to, to go back to that addiction, right? Because what am I missing out on is just I'm missing out on basically me getting high on alcohol and and connecting and, and trying to connect. But then how much of that is real too? Because I feel like I love alcohol when I have like three beers and I have this great beer buzz. I'm super cognitively aware and, and you know, I can think, but I just feel like happy but you know, when you get into like your sixth and seventh beer, you know, and if you're drinking for a, a long period of time, you, you lose that, and you kind of like it, you go into this dullness of brain, where it kind of it just it seems to like stampen or oppress parts of your brain, and you kind of like you're, you're buzzing, but you don't have the sharpness, right? You don't have the sharpness, you don't have the the euphoria. That's kind of gone, and it's a different. It changes gears at that point. And that's, that's where you can go in for the long haul and you can do, you can stay in that zone for like a day if you want, as long as you want, as as long as you keep drinking the right amount of alcohol. Right. And that's where it's becomes like a 10 hour binge drink, you know? So yeah, I don't think I was really missing out on anything, but my, if I tell, if I tell myself that, you know, if I feel in my gut that I'm missing out on something, then it's not going to work for me. Cause I'm just going to be just abstaining and my brain just wears me away at it. But if I feel like I'm completely liberated from something, then I reward myself from, and I feel euphoria of the fact that I'm not doing it. And I find ways to reward myself from not doing it instead of feeling nostalgia or feeling a pull towards it and desire. And then trying to say, you know, trying to control myself or discipline myself going not, nah, you know, you don't need that. You know, so that's, it grinds away you, man. It really does. It grinds away. And I feel like sooner or later, it's going to win. Yeah. And thank you for that, for sharing. That's some really potent, some good stuff, man. Really good stuff. But but I think we're talking mostly about cognition at the moment. Let's uh, quickly um, cover uh, resources. Okay. Uh, If you, how much money would you have? Okay, we all admit that money is a very central part of our life. It helps us, you know, put a roof over heads, feed mouths, reach goals, buy books, buy music, whatever, anything you want. We know that money is very important for that. Uh, could we say that the average person is wasting a lot of money? Like, uh, uh, not, I shouldn't say the average person, especially not in Qatar. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, you know, the average person, I think, drinks one to two days a week. And how much do we spend in that week? And if we times that by 52, 
what are we looking at per year? You know, and so I think that's, so I'm all with you about cognition. I think that's the most important thing when it comes to giving that. Cognition and spirit, I would say, are the most important things. I'd say spirit's number one, cognition's number two. But as we go down the list, we hit money really soon. And I mean, do you think maybe, do you consider it a waste of money for yourself? That those 10, 20 years of drinking, I mean, how much money would we have? Yeah, definitely. Does that matter? Does that even matter? Like, I just want your feedback. Does it matter? How much money would we have, et cetera? I don't, I don't see it in the sense of money. I see it in the sense of time and energy and expenditure of energy and money. The money is, is different, but I see it in the sense of, I don't see it in, in the sense of, um, I, let's to go back to those examples that we were talking about before is that allowing ourselves to grow. My only issue with alcohol and spending that money is that I wish well, if I was to wish anything or the regret that I have any sense of regret comes from, I wish I got to this place sooner. So that means that I could have, okay, I've invested that money in those experiences and had fun and moderated my drinking, but kind of really getting to liberation sooner. So it's, it's, I could be where I am with that investment of time, money, money, having those experiences, but getting to this place where it's not needed. I don't think the- How the, much the, sooner? Like probably before 30 you know, late, late twenties, thirties, early thirties, but I, I don't see it as a, I see it as the sense of what you're, you're spending. I see life now as currencies. You know, you have the currency of love, the currency of relationships, the currency of art, music, the currency of language, the currency of learning, currency of free time, work time, the currency of whatever, right? I see life now as in currencies. And I, I think that, you know, being present, you know, you have chosen to be here with me to have this conversation while your son's knocking on the door and my wife is now going to sleep with my daughter and we've chosen to be here and give your energy to each other and that's kind of that's a that's a beautiful thing because you you're saying that I value your currency I value your time and that's amazing so I appreciate that thank you sorry give you that respect um so then it's like, if you're aware of that, everything is currency. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe over the year, those drinks have costed you $5,000. Okay. No big deal. But the way I see it is like, how much time have I put into that? What have I invested my energy into? And what would my life have been like if instead of spending that energy and time drinking by, by myself with my friends, if I had done something creative, if I'd done something positive, I'd been working and building something in my life. If I'd been writing a book, if I'd been reading um, Spanish text, if I'd been learning Chinese, playing guitar, you know, reading another, reading anything, doing anything, bike riding, like what other currency could I have, you know, grown and that what I poured it into was drinking alcohol and, and getting the buzz on and, and, in, and entertainment in that way, which is really just, you know, gratification. So I think that's, that's what you have to look at. And, you know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't drink. I'm just saying that I think you got to make really informed choices about who you are and how you spend your time and who you want to be. And I think that I've seen people use alcohol relatively responsibly, have families, work, wake up early, do what they need to do. And they have no 
inclination to quit drinking. I said, okay, I'll take my hat off to you. If you can do everything you want to do and drink whatever, how much you drink and, and have a, a good life, then it's your life. You're entitled to that choice. But if I feel, I feel like the people that say, I wish I could drink less, or I wish I could get this under control, or I, I don't really want to give my energy to this habit. And I still am. They're the people that I think just need to reframe what they already know inside of them and articulate it in something very clear and, and kind of reprogram themselves for social situations and, and the way they see the world. And then they, they can be completely liberated very quickly. And I think those, those people. Absolutely, man. And I kind of see those people as the same as the other people. I just think they're more conscious of what they're losing. You know what I mean? That's why they have these forms of regret is because they are aware of the expenditure that goes into this, this activity. Right. Um, and, and they know what you know now, but they can't quite liberate themselves because of what you mentioned earlier was a culture right? A culture of drinking. Um, in our culture, there's a culture of drinking all over. You said, I think at schools and same with my school, I just don't really go out with them. They went out last night, everybody. I, I missed out, so to speak. But you know what I did do is I hung out with my son for two full hours and uh, I fed my family. We ordered some pizza again. I usually do that on a Friday. I shouldn't do it so often, but anyways, do it on Friday, you know, and stayed home safe, uh, no temptations um, outside of my own, um, but this culture of drinking. And then I think you said something earlier also that men are kind of not forced, but um, expected to drink in many ways. You know, I've heard people say, I don't trust people that drink. And I'm like, <clears throat> Don't trust people that drink or don't trust people that don't drink. I don't trust people that don't drink. Yeah. And I was like, that's a very Australian thing. It's a, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I, if there, if I was to take any stance, it would be the opposite of that. Uh, not that I do. It's not that I don't trust people that drink. I'm just saying to say such a bold thing to me is absolutely absurd. It's ludicrous. Uh, cause I believe the opposite. I mean, but culture, man. So do you think, okay, so you said that if, uh, you know, hypothetical three, if you could, uh, if you could, um, let's say, wave a wand and change the past, you would have stopped a little bit earlier. Do you think that these Arab nations, these Muslim nations are thinking the same thing for their, are, I mean, why are these countries, these cultures of non-drinking uh, so adamant on this? Uh, you know, do you, do you think they're trying to be of service to their people? Because, I mean, as individuals, if we have more energy, a little bit more money, you said $5,000 a year. That's not, I don't think you drink that much, but it, let's say it was around two to 4000 5000 a year. That's a few summer camps for your child. That is a brand new bicycle. That is a, here in Thailand, that's a whole term. If you go to the right school, a whole term of education. I mean, geez, that's a lot of money. Even if it's not that much, it's a lot. It has a lot of power and potential. 
Um, so these countries that are against it, do you think they're being patrons to their people? Or do you think they just don't want dissent or something like that? Like, I'm not sure. But I, I know that a lot of religions do this. And I feel like if even Jesus was here today, he'd tell us to pick up our mat and walk. You know, he's like, pick up your burden and walk. Like, don't, 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 you know, get off your ass, basically. Sorry, Jesus, to paraphrase you in such a way. But, you know, that's mm -hmm. what he'd say is get off your fucking ass. Quit making excuses. Let's go to work. It's time to work and do well and be of service. So, Qatar, Muslim countries, prohibition. Is the intent good or is it uh, mal malignant, bad, malicious. malign, malign? Yeah. Oh, well, malicious. Malevolent. There we go. There we go. Malicious. Yeah. Or well, malevolent, malevolent. Um, I, to answer your question directly, I'd say that I think it does come from a good place because it's not like a, it's 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 not an economic burden for them to to allow people to drink, and ultimately governments revolve around their economic, um, economic goals. Uh, you know, but I think they they look at it what it does socially and uh, in the community and relationships, you know, etc. Health, health, socially, and I think they do it for. I think that's the idea, and it's the idea is that they're, you know, probably a theocracy. Theocracy, obviously, meaning government aligned with God and religion, and they want those things to be aligned. So maybe there's a sense of hypocrisy and so we should be good people. We should be Islamic. We should be, you know, advocating for, you know, strong uh, ethics, mor morality, and how could we allow this to happen in our city and be corrupted by it? But maybe we have to go a little bit back and think about, well, why did we drink? And if you come from Western culture, you know, I came from Australia, you came from the United States. Why did we drink and what was the drinking? What did that drinking look like? And what were, what were, what were we actually taught about that drinking? And what, what were some of the underlying reasons that we drank and maybe drank to excess? And one of the things that you mentioned was experience and, and experience to me is a big word experience, understanding like, you know, I've got experience as a teaching, as a teacher, what does that mean? Um, but I look at the reasons why I drank and how I kind of fell into drinking and it was, it was cultural. There's, it's, there's a couple of layers there, right? So I think I had to look at what was happening and part of it was cultural, you know, young men hanging out, going to bars as a way of, you know, connecting with their friends. So it's social as well, you know, connecting with friends and entertaining as a way of comrade comradeship and, and having strong bonds with other men, other young men. Um, so there's a social aspect and there's also meeting women uh, with that. So it's like, you know, a natural lubricant, people are out, they're dancing, they're drinking, you might meet a girl, um, or you want to meet women. And that's a big reason to go out to drink. Uh, so culturally, it's kind of like it's it's normalized and it's advocated. You know, it's 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 everywhere. Uh, but I think underneath that, you know, young people drink, especially in Australia. I think and there's there is this shift. You're you sort of coming of age at around this time. You know, you're going from being an adolescent into an adult into a man, and that means you're probably picking up more responsibility you're expected to do certain things you weren't before and you might feel coerced of where you are in life 
you know, with this job that you have, your parents are busting your balls, telling you you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, and you have you, you feel like you're being coerced. And you might be working in a shitty job, earning shitty money, and you're on the bottom of the food chain. So then there's this stress associated to trying to be a man, you know, become an adult, responsibility, pressure from parents, from society, people telling you what to do, um, how to be, what you should do. And that that shit's gonna take a toll, right? As a young man, it's like fuck. You got you want to be free. You want to have, you know, you got this really strong masculine energy, um, and it's you're probably gonna feel quite restricted. So then there's another reason why you're gonna drink because it's you know, you might feel this destruction and and this toxicity about you, and you're like, I need to let this shit go. And one way of and then then it's the other category of dealing with stress dealing with uh the pain of the tr the transcendence into adulthood right so i think that's another reason too but i'll say this again to link it back to your question is that perhaps for me and for a lot of other young australian men that was the only way of moving through those stages right drinking and you know all of that shit and then drinking in excess drinking with heartbreak, drinking for parties and drinking at barbecues, drinking at bars to getting to the point where it's like, okay, I've, I've experienced all this different type of drinking and now at the point where, okay, I can put this toy aside for a while. Maybe it's forever. Put this toy aside, you know, and, and, and move on to something else. But if I lived in Qatar, that would not have been allowed for me to experience mm -hmm. all that. And I would have just, I would have just never known what it's like to have the pain and consequence, and the beauty and the, and and the winds and the connections and the and the glory and the euphoria that come that came with all that as well. So, I would never say all things are good or bad and categorize things, but I would definitely say that those experiences have have given me a great insight to the world of drinking and and being a young man in Australia and, and, and maturing with alcohol uh, to eventually phasing it out. And I don't know if I would have wanted someone to stop me from doing that and having those experiences. What I would have wanted was people around me, strong men to say, Steve, there is real power in, you know, finding a purpose, Steve, what do you really want in this life? Steve, yeah, this is the reason like, why you should have had a family. It seems like they're they're, you know, in the same boat, right? All those those potential mentors, those potential figures were under the same uh fog, right? And so they wouldn't wouldn't say, you know, uh, Steve, your life can be much better. I mean, I drink every Saturday and Sunday with my friends, but you know what? Your life could be better if you didn't, you know, you know, you said something like that dealing with the stress, does alcohol actually alleviate stress? I don't think so. It postpones it. It just puts it off for the next day. So you can either solve the problem right now, deal with it, go through the hardships, and then be done with it. Or we can drink for a couple of days and just run our mouths and banter and cry on our friend's shoulder. And then Monday comes and that problem has not been addressed. Uh, that's the way I see it. Uh, sorry. But yeah, it's a you distraction. Also, you, 
Yeah, yeah. And you also said like the understanding, right, of these experiences and the turmoil that maybe not turmoil, maybe that's too strong of a word, but yeah, let's use a lighter version of turmoil. Uh the dist- the minor Anxiety. scuffing that alcohol does to our lives, it reminds me of the tree of knowledge in the book of Genesis. So you have the tree of knowledge and God says, do not pick from this tree because it's going to, it's this desire, right? The book of knowledge or the tree of knowledge, the whole point of that story from my perspective, my opinion is what you don't know can't hurt you. In fact, I think that 70% of people in Muslim society do not think about alcohol at all, at all. In fact, it doesn't exist. They've never taken a bite from that apple. It doesn't affect their lives. They're not up. They're not all stressed out and depressed because I can't go to 7-Eleven and buy my own beer. They don't think like that. They haven't bitten from that apple from the tree of knowledge. And God warns us early on uh, that this is destructive. It is the beginning of the unraveling, is choice, is knowledge. Uh, And he says, there's only one truth, and that is me. And what does that mean? Well, goodness, kindness, love, family, peace, sacrifice, service to your community, non-judgment of other, equality to foreigners. That's what God says. The tree of knowledge, the tempting tree of knowledge. It's all this shit we've been putting in our heads for years, uh, which eventually doesn't amount to that much. Uh, anyways, so yeah, I don't feel that alcohol like actually reduces stress. I think it solely postpones it, and it just becomes tomorrow's problem instead of today's. And uh, yeah, man. And the like I said, the awareness of uh, you have awareness of this whole culture of drinking, whereas many people on this planet do not people in the amazon right deep in the amazon a lot of them don't drink right they just you know survive and they enjoy life and they laugh and they help and they do their things they're not thinking ah oh, i wish i had that choice why am i so oppressed yeah if you never ever expose your child to sugar artificial sugar they will never ask for it ever And then then when they see it later in the life, they'll be like, no, I don't know what that is, but I'll take an apple from the tree of knowledge. Just joking. But Mm -hmm. I'll take an apple or I'll take uh, some rice and chicken. You know, they'll make better choices. Anyways, that's just kind of what I. Yeah, that's great. Great. um, Great reflections. And I think that adds depth. And I think you're right. I think the problem is what to add to what you're saying is that when you're a young man and you're, you got, you have anxiety or you're stressed and you have, you know, you're getting pulled in so many directions um, and you don't have a lot of tools to solve those problems. So you're kind of scrambling for anything out in front of you. You're scrambling for some kind of, some kind of quick fix. And then, you know, you realize that, Oh, if I can drink this or I take this pill or, you know, smoke this, I'm going to drastically change how I feel because I'm already in this emotional turmoil and that's going to, going to alleviate me for a while and that alleviation is kind of going to be my sanity you know escapism for a short amount of time only until you reflect and you grow you realize how destructive that is because that's the basis of a of a fantastic and powerful um life life-changing addiction right especially when you're in those lows and you're looking for things but you don't have the tools 
So I wish that I had um, some mentoring then from people that could explain this kind of basic stuff. Cause I, I really think that it is basic because it's, it's basic psychology of, you know, how to deal with life and dealing with your purpose and dealing with work and stress. And, you know, your parents should give you a space to, to breathe if they can, um, but they should. Um, but like you said, is that there's how many mentors are actually around? How many mentors give a shit or how many mentors are actually can be mentors because they're living through example or they're living. Well, maybe, the, maybe there are many waiting, you know, maybe there are many who desire to be that the mentor, but they want to give you space. Yeah. There's that old, I think, I think advise you without your, your request for the information. And this is the world we live in today. We're too scared to be honest. I mean, that's just kind of the way I see it. Well, yeah, the, the way that I've heard that that adage that adage is um, when the student is ready, the teacher would come, right? For me, I, I was definitely asking questions and I was definitely trying to figure out where the hell was I in this scramble. Um, but maybe I was asking the wrong questions and maybe I didn't try enough or maybe I wasn't aware of how to ask the right questions and get, kind of get help. But it was a lack of male strong male figures in my life that could put me in the right direction. Um, so I think that's, that's great. Uh, well, that, that's a motion say great. That's um, that was part of the problem. Uh, and then, but yeah, I guess, you know, but I also agree with what you're saying too, is that do, do you need to have, like, I think about this all the time. So do I need to have suffered to become the person that I am? And what would, you know, who would I have been if my life was like, I had perfect childhood without any kind of trauma and never got, never drank alcohol, never did anything kind of, uh, you know, illicit. What, what sort of person would I be without those, um, that those inner conflicts or trauma, whatever you want to call them. And I think you're right. I think you, you would be a, a completely different person. I think you wouldn't have even have those temptations in your brain because I've never been, never created those connections in your head. Right. Um, and I think that for lots of ways, basically, I'm going to argue that it's better for you not to. I never want my kid to try drugs. I'm like, you know, it's better you don't know what they are because, you know, instead, yeah. it's, so you don't have to deal with that. But if you do, and you do get into that realm, and, you know, I think that what it does give you is, is it gives you depth and insight and understanding and character, you know, of, of reflection of, if you can process them and reflect on them, you can, you can really, you can really process the, the the dark side of all those decisions. And is that a benefit? Well, I don't know how useful that is. It's I think it's useful to the to the soul to the individual. I don't know how useful it is in the sense of you know your your journey as an individual on your purpose, right? But I don't know how useful it is. I don't think it's unless you plan to teach people and mentor people. I think generally that your life would be better if you just kept away and, and focused on what was, what was important to you, not having to deal with that. Cause I think those things take you, take you backwards, take you a step back. Yeah. It's hard to get, hard to get a step forward after that. Um, I agree. Yeah. I hear you, man, fully. Um, but what it sounds like to me, well, first let me say, I agree with you. Um, and this is where things get complicated, but if I had a genie 
in a bottle and I had a wish, I would wish away those experiences for my son. I, his, I don't think his life would be diminished in any way. I think it would solely be enhanced by him never meddling in drugs or alcohol. I just believe that, man. I really, really do. And you said something which all of us drinkers, whenever we drank, uh, feel is this lack of experience without this rapacious king in our lives. Um, you know, dude, the only thing you learn from all those bad things, those experiences and drinking is why not to drink? That's it. You don't learn anything about life, dude. I don't agree with that. I don't believe you're learning anything because life is full of suffering, bro. From the Buddha to the all the prophets, that's what we know. Life is suffering. So trust me, you got enough turmoil coming your way. All of us, my son, your daughter, has. they have enough turmoil and disaster coming. It comes with life. So they're gonna their character will be defined by the, the way they can um handle and process and persevere through those things, right? It just you know, I'm not okay. A lot of this conversation is actually me reflecting on myself. So I just want to be honest with everybody. I currently drink, and to be honest, like I I definitely drink more than Steven drank a few years ago, more consistently. Um, and so sometimes when I'm going on these, uh, you know, these heated and then, uh, you know, claims and suggestions and et cetera, it's me talking not only to you, but to myself. But I do believe that you only learn one thing from all the turmoils of drug and alcohol combined exponentially. Um, and that's why not to do it. You don't learn about how to be a good person from drinking. You don't learn about how to save money from drinking, how to be a better father, how to be to reach your goals, how to be the best version of yourself. You don't learn that. All you learn is why I shouldn't, because I'm not becoming the best version of myself. I'm not saving the money I want to do. I'm not being the family. I'm not being the teacher. I'm not thinking as clearly. It's cloudy over here, you know? So yeah, man, like... I think this is a great topic because it's currently in the mainstream media right now with the world cup. Um, and it makes me think about our lives and uh, you know, where were those men, Stephen? were any of them in a pub? You said you felt at some point in your life. And I do too. I do too. In fact, I do prop just as much as you, if not, maybe more, um, but just as much as you that I had a lack of mentorship where were those men? Were any of them in pubs? Yeah, How I don't know. Would society have been if they weren't? Yeah, let me go back to that first. That that claim, the thesis statement of of the the only thing that you learn is you learn not to drink. I think there is a lot of truth to that. I don't entirely agree, but I think you've almost convinced me, which is fine. Um, and it hurts a little bit. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts oh, my ego on. a little bit because I thought, ah, oh, you know, I feel like having those experiences gives me a depth of character that you know I understand. I think I would argue that I understand what I understand from that is kind of 
the human condition of trying to deal with things and and how we behave on a let's let's say through a psychological lens of behavior pain and punishment and addiction i think you learn all of that i think that's the part you learn um but i agree you don't actually learn how to how to be good at anything or, or how to deal with anything if anything it holds you completely um creates kind of an arrested development in lots of ways in your maturity uh, in your learning process in your place in the world it really just holds you back um and i think you're right i think ultimately your thesis statement and i'm fine to be wrong um i think that's a great that's and even i think even if it's not 100 percent perfect in that argument and then i think it's a great uh it's a it's a great value or a great um belief system or part of the ideological pillars to adopt is that that's really the only thing you're going to learn and i really like that that's something that if i said to my students i think that would really impact them um so i think that's great so thank you for sharing that one um hyperbole is a powerful persuasive technique yeah but i'm not even sure if that's hyperbole i feel like it's it's exactly the truth <laughs> you know it's it's you know it's it's it kind of seems like a hyperbole i think and maybe it is i don't know but i i you know but i think that it's i think there's real insight to that and that that claim and there's real strength to it it's like you just learn that just why why shouldn't be doing this because i'm doing the same thing over and over and i'm hurting myself and i'm hurting other people um so yeah, man, thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely going to be, that's, that's a, that's a real gem there. Uh, I'm going to say the mentors in my life, well, I'll just talk for myself. I think they just weren't given the chance to be um, aware themselves because they didn't have the tools to be thinkers. And I think that was what was missing in the community that I was, I was raised around and they weren't able to articulate ideas. They could they could tell me to stop playing my Nintendo, but they couldn't tell me why to why I should stop playing my Nintendo. Besides, you're wasting time. I said, like, okay, well that's not really a reason why. You know, like that's wasting time for you, but it's actually really fun for me, right? And yeah, I love Nintendo, dude. <laughs> my dad actually smashed my Nintendo. That was his way of dude, saying that. That no is more, awesome. No more Nintendo. Yeah, but I really wish that, you know, and I spoke to him about that recently as a grown man. And I said to him, do you think that was the right thing to do? And he goes, no, it wasn't. And I said, well, of course it wasn't. I said, you know, like in hindsight, you know, it wasn't, but, you know, maybe you didn't have the tools to kind of explain. It's like what kids need is, you know, you need to explain and you need to do the controlling for them. You know, you don't have to go all out and fucking start smashing and breaking shit, but you don't get your way. Right? That's not, not the, the dude, best. I'm sorry. Parent. I got it. I have to take my hat off to your dad, dude. You know, I know it seems unjust what he did, but that is something I would do. And I, I always tell my son, I'm going to break that fucking TV and I'm going to throw it out in the fucking street because you're yeah. not listening to your mother. You're not listening to me. You know what? You like that TV more than us? All right, fuck that. Pick it up, rip it off the wall, throw it down the fucking street and stomp on it. I just, I don't know why. Like, I wouldn't really want to do that because it would be a lose-lose thing, right? I'd lose the opportunity to explain to him why I feel the way I do. I'd lose the, I would lose money because I'd have to eventually buy a TV, another one. But I just think that kind of behavior is fucking hilarious. That's some. Bill it it is shit, funny, right? and it, and it is kind of like the ultimate 
It's like you pulled out the ultimate ace card. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You pulled out the, the ace ultimate of sledgehammer clubs. Right. <laughs> yeah, you pulled out the. You've pulled out. You you basically you know showed the you know gone Hulk, pulled out the extent of your powers and go listen. If you fuck with me, this is where it's gonna go. Right. You don't want to go there, but <laughs> if we go there, you know, the shit's going to get real, real fast. And there's no fucking turning back from this point. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I think what was missing with my dad was the capacity to do any of the talking in between. Right. And the reflection, yeah. it was just like, let's break, you know, he was frustrated and I get it. Um, and at the time, obviously I was really pissed off, but like, you know, I've reflected lots of my my parenting, my parents' you know, parenting, and you know they didn't have the tools to think about shit like we do. They went sitting down, you know, podcasting on a Friday or a Saturday night, thinking about great ways to raise their children. You know, they went planning for the future and thinking about which schools to put them in and the psychology of their kids, how to protect them from drugs and what conversations they were gonna have. They definitely were not fucking doing that. <laughs> you know. The, only thing they were doing is like, oh fuck, I gotta go to work tomorrow, I got a shit job, I gotta pay the bills, I gotta pay this mortgage, you know, this prick at work said this to me. You know, it's kind of like they're just trying to survive. And and you know, they're they're really in their primitive brain because they're stuck in survival and 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 that's not a great place to be. So yeah, you gotta have some empathy, but um, you know, going, I guess trying to link this back to our previous question, which is yeah, do you, I think we were talking about um, Qatar and, and uh, talking about choices and talking about sometimes sometimes you can't give kids and even adults choices because you know they're going to hurt themselves a lot more than what what they're going to protect themselves. Like I think some, and I'll I'll argue that I think some drugs should be illegal, but I think some drugs definitely should not be legal. Like I think cocaine is a real dangerous drug. For example, um, I think ice and amphetamines, those type of drugs are really dangerous. And I don't think they should be taken in moderation. But I think marijuana is generally innocuous and it's quite harmless and it's not really a huge deal. You know, it's, you know, but I think there's some some drugs that maybe we should allow. Some just say, look, this one's never okay to take. It's not okay for your children to smoke ice or a full grown man to smoke, you know, crack. That shit's not okay. Um so there's always got to be limits in society, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if you, if you shower people, shower people with love and said, you know, Islam, we don't drink because we love and we don't want to corrupt our society and you don't need it. And you're going to be better off without it. And it's, you know, fuck man, maybe they, maybe they have a point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's possible, you know, and, I come from America and I, I love my rights, the, the, the ideals that exist. I don't know how real they are, but they are there in the consciousness. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of hate uh, towards these Muslim countries. And I mean, ask any scholar, theologian, or somebody that actually reads the text, and they'll tell you it's a beautiful, wonderful religion. It truly is. And you could just get a, a few fuck ups that ruin it for everybody, right? That's where we get most of our laws. It's not that men beat their women all the time. In fact, I think it's less than five percent for sure. Um, 
but it's that 5% that has made the world the way it is to believe that every man is oppressive, toxic masculinity, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's because of these small minority groups that bark the loudest, right? They, they produce these, these, these things that really are frownable. Like you frown upon these things and we got to address it. But then everybody, every man has to hear that same story as if they are one of those people. And I just don't feel like that that's really fair. And poor Muslims are going through this as we speak because the U.S. like has the biggest fucking megaphone ever created by man. And it's just, it blots out the truth. It blots out, uh-oh, kind of lost my train of thought. But yeah, they're getting they're getting this, like... Um, You're saying they're getting a really name. bad name and getting kind of labeled. Yeah, they're getting a bad name for something. And I feel like the intention is all good. Like, I think that they are aware of... Of it's like it's like China and social media, right? They are aware of the dangers of this. It's the tree of knowledge, bro. Like all that shit you see on Facebook and TikTok, like I mean, that's unnecessary. You don't need to think about that stuff. It's not important to your real life. Um, it doesn't actually benefit your life. And it's the same with Muslim countries and alcohol or whatever. I don't I believe that their intention is great. And I'm not going to get into the dress code. Let's not even bring that in here because I, I don't want to criticize anybody right now, except for myself. And uh, yeah, you know, so we're in this paradigm. What is freedom? What is like independence? Is choice actually really that good? Is it actually that important? Or are we just being stuck in the trap of the tree of knowledge where we start to point our fingers at others because of what we know? We know this. This is the way it is for me everything else is bad because i'm you know when we're all like absolutely independent narcissism abounds and we start to believe that we know better than the other instead of the collective thought the collective ideology and uh yeah so what about um, this idea to add to that this idea of like kind of once you've crossed the line into that into that knowing using that metaphor of the tree of knowledge you know, you've you've crossed that line for example you've never done prostitution before and then you've kind of you said no 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 and then that one time you've done it and then you kind of because you've done it and then you're like okay i've done this and it, you know what, it's not too bad i might do it again you know that crossing that line does it feel like once you've crossed that line whatever that kind of temptation is um does it feel like it's really hard to go back from there you know it, it's kind yeah. of like pandora's box man yeah, that's the metaphor, isn't it? It is. Mm. But I, yeah, in what's happening to your brain there, you know, your your brain has had a, a pleasurable experience of something that normally it has no experience, no, no connection to. And then what I think what our brains do is naturally we want to repeat pleasurable experiences. So then we we have a psychological experience and then we we try to recreate that. And then we we, we then replicate the behavior and then we keep replicating it and then we're replicating it, and then very quickly it could become an addiction or you know habits become an addiction and they become then a part of us and they become quite difficult to control because we said yes once right i'm not saying saying yeah. yes once equals every addiction but i'm saying once you cross that line and you go into and you know something is pleasurable then it's a lot harder i think to pull yourself back yeah, absolutely, man. I, I agree with that. It's that that first bite, that first taste, uh, 
opens this world of uh, questioning, right? Like, okay, so I slept with a prostitute. It was pretty awesome. Can't believe it only cost that much. <laughs> and you want to do it again. But for someone who never, ever tried it, they don't have those internal monologues going on into their, in their brains. They don't, they're, they're, they're free or liberated from that type of thinking because they don't have that experience. And hey, we got expressions like ignorance is bliss for a reason. And I don't mean ignore your son like I'm doing right now. That's not blissful. Trust me. I'm probably going to hear something about it later. Anyways, I'm talking about what you don't know cannot hurt you. What you do can. And that's pretty much a fact, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, one can argue if you don't know that fire is hot, it can hurt you. Okay. But let's not get too technical. Let's think about them. I want to think about the overall picture, really, a very uh, vague, abstract one, like looking you know, through this lens, not at anything particular, um, but in general. And again, it goes back to Genesis, dude, or sorry, Exodus, um, which is um, that tree of knowledge that is the downfall of humanity. Uh, it really is, you know, and uh, it's amazing. That book, man, I hope you're still reading it, by the way, because, man, there's nothing like that. You can never find a book like that, and you never will. Um, it's just, it's, it's the library, the original library. Uh, but yeah, uh, and that's just book one guys. So you can get that far, <laughs> but yeah, remember you, like you, oh, go ahead. the words that you mentioned too, like the, the thoughts and the internal monologue, I think that also becomes pretty, pretty fast and internal conflict because you're getting told by society. You shouldn't do it. You're getting told by your parents. You shouldn't do it. You may be even told by the law. You shouldn't do it. Right. And then you, you do it anyway. Um, and then you have to kind of, and then you have this concept of yourself or who you think you are and what does that look like? And then, you know, then your identity becomes split is like, who am I? Am I this person or that person? Or what can I do in public? What can I do in private? It just becomes, it becomes a fucking mess when you can't live your life in a way that's congruent, you know, with who you think you are, who you want to be and who you want to show, what version of yourself do you want to show to society, right? If that's not congruent, then you, you have this identity conflict and it becomes, everything becomes murky. And it's just, then you just feel uncomfortable all the time with who you are and uncomfortable in all sorts of situations. So I think that's, you know, from something that kind of seems so small and banal, you know, so many, so many kind of issues stem from that. Just, just by, just by crossing that line and, you know, then you, you can kind of, you can become that person very, really quickly and that's kind of scary so yeah i don't think you need the, those i agree man i don't think you need those experiences to to you know you can just like you said liberate your brain from that you know it's not really going to be beneficial it's we've gone over the two hours and uh, we spoke a bit about alcohol addiction um you know choice yeah independence Socially. and freedom what does that mean right i think we've talked about some very universal but also cloaked and but extremely important topics that i think we should all look closer at from time to time yeah and it's it's really interesting because i i hear people like jordan peterson talk about and critique these ideas of um the individual 
ideas of freedom. And I think a lot of people, mm, I think it's a conversation that benefits all of us to, to really think about what those words mean and what does it mean, and not just in the context of ourselves, but in the context of society and family and tradition um, yeah. and, and we're about building things that matter and, and what things are we kind of, what things are degenerating within society? What things are we losing? And I think that's, that's I feel that that pain within you um, and within a lot of people from the United States that it feels like something kind of special is being lost at the moment in, in your country. And I think that that could be a part of it is it's all about me, me, me. So I think we, we have to really examine these words and what they mean. And also, you know, maybe recontextualize, um, you know, reframe them as well to, to, to think about what kind of society we want to create and what kind of families we want to create and what kind of people we want to create, what kind of kids we want to create, what kind of schools we want to create, all of that stuff too. So I think it's, it's a very worthwhile conversation uh, and it's given, you know, my mind has been open up to understanding a lot more, like a lot deeper. What is, what does it mean to have freedom and what kind of responsibilities come with that? So I think that's a great question. And, you know, what kind of responsibilities, but also what are we sacrificing in the name of what, mm -hmm. what are we maybe impacting for better or worse? Yeah. By this idea, right? Well, I feel like we're losing a lot, but but whatever, you know, we don't get into that again later. I think this is a topic that needs to be revisited. Uh, maybe we can talk about those concepts later is this idea of independence and freedom. And we all can agree that they are very romantic and lovely ideas, but so is democracy. And how's that going? <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh, take my take my hat off to plato except for plato wanted like he was like the original like marx dude <laughs> that's so far-fetched and what i mean by that is he wanted a a series of uh philosopher kings i mean what is that fucking marxist anyway yeah excuse just, me <laughs> yeah yeah it, I, I i do remember that um yeah and i think well i'll just leave it at that because i think that's a, that's something to think about because you know how many other things are working and not working but yeah bro let's let's wrap this up because i think it's time um man i really appreciate uh your, your time and um yeah i look forward to chatting with the next one with Je uh, guest speaker jeff dargan coming on our show Oh yeah, I'm excited about that, man. I really am. And I'd like to, like, it, I think it'd be good for both of us to have, you know, I wouldn't say more frequent because we only meet once a week at best, unless we're on holiday. Um, and it's nice to have these discussions between two of us. But at the same time, I do hope that our schedules can open up so we can have more regular podcasts and, and have regular guests. I think that would enrich uh, our, us uh, our listeners and etc yeah. um and you know so yeah i'm not sure if this is going to make it in but for anybody that does drink all of my words are not pointed towards causing change in your life that's not what i'm trying to do i i'm talking about my own experiences and what i believe and um just you know as long as we go through life asking questions how is this behavior serving my ultimate goals 
Uh, I think that's the important question. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't want to like turn people off from their own freedoms and, and whatever choices. That's not my intent. My intent is to, to, to kind of look at it, like to look at our own actions, look in the mirror and have a serious discussion with ourselves, if not with other people. And I think life only gets better from there. Okay. All right. I'll see you soon, buddy. I got All right, bro. Take care. Ciao. Bye. <laughs> see ya.